Two percent. Two percent. Two percent. Uh, the two percent's right over here. Oh, hey, Jenna. I didn't know you shopped here. Uh, yeah. Anything to support local food. Know what I mean? I definitely do. Though that's not the only thing you do in the name of Good Eats, obviously. Well, true. I also host Eating Matters every Wednesday at 5 p.m. where we talk about food policy and how it impacts all of us. Be sure to tune in. All right, gotta get the plug in there. I get it. Yep, I'm hashtag shameless. You know what else you can do to support the local food community, right? Well, yeah. Make a donation to Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. That's right. And I gotta call you out on the whole local thing. What do you mean? Well, The Farm Report, A Taste of the Past, Japan Eats. Those are shows that take you around the country and the world. I'll give you that. So how can listeners give their support? It's pretty easy. Just go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the big red heart in the top right corner. It's pretty easy from there. Thanks. Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. Hi, this is Katie Kiefer from What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. This is Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers, by young farmers. I'm your host, Severin. This is a radio show, and today we have Andre coming to us from the beautiful San Juan Islands, where he is milking goats and living his dream life. Welcome to the show, Andre. Hi, Severin. It's great to be on here. I've been looking forward to it. Me too. So let's just do a little... um, intro to the the farm world of the San Juan Islands, which I was so lucky to get to visit for the beautiful San Juan Island Agricultural Symposium this spring, or summit. Tell us uh, the history and agro agroculture of your little pearl in the Pacific. Well, um, I'm starting to learn a lot more about the rich history here. Um, we're... Um, pretty blessed right here on Lopez at the farm that I'm on, this this 40-acre piece that was actually a lot bigger before. But um, in the 19, I think the early 1900s, 1915, I was told was the height of prosperity in the San Juans for agriculture. And um, the history we gather right here in the dairy world was the cow dairy that we're working now within um, was a, a dairy in the 30s, and we've converted it to a goat-friendly dairy. And we're using the, the same old milk house to cool our milk again that used to be used for cooling cow milk back then. Um, and it's a pretty, a pretty fun place to be working within. So you want to describe your operation a little bit more and some of the principles that you're... Uh using? Yeah, be happy to. <laughs> I saw the disclaimer on your thing, and I tweeted it, and I got lots of happy likes that were 
about what benefits Romhelm could have as well as risks. <laughs> oh, yeah, the, the sign that I had on the menu board at the event. Yes. That you that you posted that was that was very very funny of you to do that. Thank you. Wait, explain, explain. The people don't know. Um, well, when when we were going to sell uh, a raw milk aged feta cheese, we were told by one of the county inspectors that we need to post a uh, warning saying that um, raw foods may contain harmful bacteria or may be harmful to your health, and I just had to put. Below that, that they also may be beneficial to your health. So I had that both at the same time. Um, I know myself as being a little bit of a, a rebel and a stubborn person, I think much like a goat. <laughs> well, especially in kidding season. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so we, so we let's, have a... Let's talk about a, your operation. Yeah, we've, we've got mostly a herd of alpine goats, um... A couple Nubians mixed in there. We're milking 14 right now, and a friend of mine told me that we're not a micro-dairy. We are a nano-dairy. Very, very small. Um, We're doing it raw milk, selling fluid raw milk, and we're able to make a couple of aged cheeses that are raw. Um, And we chose to keep their horns on. It's a kind of a controversial thing, or it's just a a thing that people do, they just disbud horns all dairies across the nation and you're automatically disqualified if you have a goat with horns in a show. So we decided to keep horns on and um, I've never looked back. They're, they're gorgeous with horns. So you have some theories around uh, the way that you move the goats on the landscape and um, as a herder, I noticed that you have a bunch of rock formations and you have a steer sacrifice pasture and you have, you know, a pretty um, thoughtful grazing plan that you go on. Can uh-huh. you talk about that vis-a-vis, like, your seasonal rainy, you know, like, really, really wet and then pretty dry? Let's just talk about what you do with your herding. Yeah, we we uh, chose to bring a bunch of rocks, big boulders, with a backhoe um, over close to where the goats spend a lot of time because their their natural habitat and rhythm is to be hanging out on rocks and all that. So we did that just for their fun and also to cut down on on our labor. We don't have to trim their hooves as much because they have access to those rocks. Um, we have about 40 acres and we. We try um, very hard to put them on fresh pasture every five or so days. That's the life cycle of parasites. And goats in the natural environment like to eat off browse shrubs and trees. And if you put them on grass a lot, they can get parasites. So we put them on fresh ones, fresh grass every, every week or so and um, move them like that, rotating pastures. And then um, we take the goats for walks up the hill, which I wish I could have taken you on a walk if you had more time here. Um, They get a walk up on the road, and that trims their hooves, and then we go up to Lopez Hill to a a land up there that's quite goat country, and and they get to select their medicinal herbs of choice up on top of the hill. And I I really want to do that a lot more. It's a, 
a really great thing for me to go up and, and just hang out with the goats and, and do what old people used to do. Hang out and herd goats. Yeah. Well, and, you know, looking at the hydrology when it was raining so hard there and seeing how much water was just flowing across the landscape, you know, what really came into my brain was the work of commons repair and especially of the hydrosphere and that, you know, kind of compacted old dairy pastures might not be the optimum land use, uh, end all highest use, uh, um, and the potentially more browsable, uh, deeper-rooted ecosystems that would be goat-managed could be... Hey, we're getting a little theoretical. This is one of my problems. I start getting theoretical. And what we should really be talking about is, tell us about your theories around what kind of community it takes to run a cool farm and how you are approaching the community of your farm. Well, we, we're we definitely interested in having several families living here with us on the farm. Um, we have another family who's got three kids, and they take part in um, several milking shifts a week. And um, it's a lot of work to run a dairy, my God. I can't believe how much there is to do, and I need need lots of help. And we've leaned on our larger community of Lopez Island for um, just funding. We've done, a, we did a pretty successful barn raiser crowdfunding campaign and we raised $16,000 to finish our cheese aging cave. Um, that is underway right now. We're getting our first layers of plaster put on for that and just other upgrades to the dairy for expansion. And then um, we would love to have, as we have already, um, had many community events that have happened here, and we'd like to um, open that up to more educational permaculture kind of workshops and and just have the whole community involved. And I'm on a phone, and, and I'm getting a call from somebody else, which I'm not going to take. Oh, sorry. The community is calling, and they have things they'd like you to say. Yep. <laughs> The um, well, and so much um, so much of dairy is people strapping themselves to this once or twice daily uh, animal lactation cycle for you know sometimes more than thirty years of their lives, and it feels like one of the things I noticed about your operation was the format of the barn and and um, how you guys live there. You know, it's it it's it's less like an umbilical cord than a, like a multi-dimensional villa, like, like a courtyard, more like a courtyard than an umbilical cord. Mm-hmm. And that there's like, when you're walking from place to place, you can, you're walking past things to do and, and you're within earshot of what needs to be heard. Um, yeah. Like right now that, we're hearing all the kids crying cause it's, it's weaning time right now. So it's it's a little nerve-wracking to hear them crying. I know they're not stuck in a fence, but that's just how it goes. Yeah, I mean, that seems like as much a part of healing agriculture as not spraying poison is figuring out social and human relations uh, to be less onerous and lonely. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So, uh, you can expand on that if you want, or we can keep moving. Well, I wanted to just just describe a little picture of um, when you were here to the folks listening. Um, I I heard that Severin was, was out in the barn, and I walked out looking around for her, and I heard the goats in the barn, you know, doing their <laughs> sounds, and and I looked over the edge where all the goats are in the what's, what we call the loafing shed, and I couldn't see Severin, and then, then I found her just curled up in the hay, right there amongst all the goats, and there was kids and everything, and it was just, I've never seen anyone do that, and I haven't even done that myself, although I've been wanting to. So it was, it was <laughs> nice to see you just curled up there hanging out and inspired me to do it as well. Yeah, my superhero growing up was Heidi, and she always slept with the goat in the manger. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's but, um, cool. It's pretty beautiful, I have to say. Gosh, what a dream world. What a dream world you've made for those goats and those children who are as free as goats in the way that they play with each other. They, like, swirl in and out of every space, and they're going a gazillion miles an hour. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it all it all has been made possible by having access to land. That's for sure. And and my land, my landlord, who's my father-in-law, is so gracious and generous, and he wants to see this land used again. And he he couldn't be more pleased with what we're doing. And so we we want to share it with others for sure. Yeah, you're kind of like one of those ones who knows both sides of the story. So so many times, you know. Uh, if you got the land in your family, then you never had to go through the trauma of wanting land. You have this, like, other kinds of trauma. Yeah. But you have really looked at this on both sides as, a, as you know, now being in, in, the, in the land and luck, in the luck of the land, uh-huh. and also having been previously not. You want to talk about, um, want to talk about that? Yeah, I, I have this dream. I have a, a journal that I wrote. The first line in it said, "If I if I never start a goat dairy, I'd regret it." And I, the whole page is blank. It just says that. And so there's definitely a few years that went by when I I looked at the pasteurized milk ordinance and all the red tape and details involved in starting a dairy, and I always got very overwhelmed that it was impossible to do, especially do a raw milk dairy. And so finally getting access to land and infrastructure, it was like, duh, but I didn't realize how important it was to have that and, and not starting, not only with starting a dairy, but getting land and infrastructure and all the money involved. So it was just, it was a huge, a huge boost to my confidence and then making it a reality, having this. Um, and even, even with the land and the very low rent because it's family land, um, and the low feed costs because of all the land I have, it's still hard to make ends meet. And so it, it sometimes depresses me thinking about what farmers have to do to make any money where, you know, I got this huge sum from crowdfunding plus having um, all this access. And so it's just like, man, I hope, um, I know there's a lot of support for farmers now and I was thinking this is a really, actually a really great time to be a farmer. I think farmers are getting famous now, and it's kind of fun um, what they deserve. 
and there's more and more grants available out there, and, and there is the, this new crowdfunding thing that's just going like crazy to help us out. But still, we undervalue human labor, we undervalue natural resources, we undervalue the products of agriculture, and our economy is not calibrated to good stewardship. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and I was going to ask you, you might, you know a lot about history. There was some percentage that people used to spend on their food before, um, like before the Green Revolution 30s or something. I heard it was 50%. Is that true, something like that? Huh. I know that in Europe it's about double what it is in the States. But yeah. Your, your, general, your general European will spend something you're more like 12 or between 12 and 15 percent on, you know, good food and good wine. Yeah. Uh, whereas in the U.S., it was much less, more like six, eight percent. Right. I know. Just but I don't know that. Be I don't know in history. That's a great. We should put that in the almanac. And you know what else we should put in the almanac is an essay from you on grazing goats in the commons. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah, we have a, a great combination with my wife and I. She. She's been in landscaping for a long time and has done a lot of permaculture courses in that. And we were having fun um, planting out goat and human forage out in the pasture. We want to break the hay cycle that's been going on for years. And um, we've got nut trees and black locust and autumn olive and different nitrogen-fixing plants, a bunch of willow. And we want to plant it in a pattern out there and reforest part of the pasture and have a, a you know a nice nice place to move goats through just temporarily where they can graze and not kill the plants which goats will do if you let them have free range to things but we have got a big vision for the land for sure. Whoa! And what are you studying in pursuing that re reforestation process? Because it's like, I was just looking at this place in their for, a French fort from the 1740s that's really close to the Greenhorns headquarters, and they have so many hickories, and, I, oh, and wow. they're really thinly planted. And I was like, whoa, I wonder if this is forage for their pig. Uh-huh. Right, yeah. I would love to be studying more. I mean, I was just reading your New Farmer's Almanac recently because you gave it to me so nicely, and then... What's the other book you gave me? The Greenhorns. Because you fed me so nicely. Yeah, it's great, <laughs> great trade. But it was—it's been fun reading that. Um, what is it? Restoration Agriculture is that the book? Yeah. Yeah, it's the you know new hot book on the shelves, and we've been trying to read through that a lot, and then all the older permaculture books. But mostly, it it just it clicked and makes a lot of sense. It's just the the getting right down to the nuts and bolts of actually installing trees out in the pasture and bringing water to them and keeping them protected until the right time and all that stuff's a bit of a head scratcher but I think we we know what we're doing it's just a matter of getting time to do it a lot of work so I guess it's a good thing that raw milk is good for your health and you can live a long time to get it all done yes yeah totally um, wow. So it's really dreamy in the in the San Juan Islands, and I'm really hoping to be able to come back there and organize a sail freight adventure to go bring some of these beautiful 
product. They're probably more like your aged cheese than your fresh cheese. But yeah. to bring them by sailboat over to Seattle, that's on oh, wow. my life goal list, and we just have to find someone who wants to help us with the boat. And I know that there's already a bunch of sailors willing to do it. Um, yeah, we, we already your, I just went out with, what is your with dream some men on a... For on those a, islands, what do you see um, on the horizon? What are you working towards? Well, my one of my big things is is working on getting uh, high quality goats. It's it's been a humbling experience. Um, I give a lot of credit to breeders who have been getting their goats that are just making lots of milk and having good feed and udders and disposition, all kinds of things, details. Because um, I see all these movements I do with with goats that maybe aren't so efficient. And it's a lot of work. You have to wait a whole year or two to find out if a goat's even any good. Um, There's that part, getting better goats, and then we want to just develop our our food forest system. And the sale trade thing has been on my mind for a long time. I mean, we we just went out, um, did a little bachelor trip, with uh, seven guys on the turn. Did you hear about that boat when you were here? Mm-mm. It's a, a wooden, it's 21 feet. It's got six rowing stations and um, two masts. It's a rowing sailing boat made by some guys right here on the island, and they took it up to Alaska and back. And it would be the perfect boat for trading in the islands. Severin, so we have to wrap up. Okay. So it sounds like we have the perfect boat and a lot of enthusiasm and better goats every day. And this is the end of our episode time. And I say high five, Andre. You rock. Thank you, Severin. And thank you so much for coming out here and rocking the Ag Summit. A lot of people were were very touched by your enthusiasm and and, um, civil disobedience or whatever. <laughs> Thank you. Big love. Bye bye. All right. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.